Okay. So we will start Canto 5, Chapter 15, The Glories of the Descendant of King Priyavrata. We are again going back to the original story from where we will again start because this stream is going to keep on going back to the source and coming back again and again. In the last story we had done about Bharata, and in the previous chapter we were doing a discourse between Sukhdev and Parikshit. Now we are going to do the next portion of it. That is what happened to King Priyavrata's descendants. See, Sukhdev Goswami continued, the son of Maharaj Bharat, known as Sumati, followed the path of Rishabdev. But some unscrupulous people imagined him to be Lord Buddha himself. These people, who were actually atheistic and of bad character, took up the Vedic principle in an imaginary, infamous way to support their activities. Thus, these sinful people accepted Sumati as Lord Buddha Dev and propagated the theory that everyone should follow the principles of Sumati. In this way, they were carried away by mental concoctions. Buddha is supposed to be one of the avatars of Sri Krishna. It's a Vishnu avatar, by the way. Now, the Buddha avatar is an avatar full of Maya. Maya Vadi avatar, as we call him. In all our lessons we have done so far, we have seen that the mind is that most important thing that needs to be overcome. In Buddha's avatar, the mind is the one which travels. He is not talking of overcoming anything, but reaching a state of shunyata. Basically, a state where nothing seems to exist. where nothing exists not god no krishna no buddha nobody exists that is a state so these kind of wrong teachings wrong teaching why are they calling it wrong in this book is because these teachings were not accepted by the hindu philosophers or by the people who taught about sri krishna and his other avatars the hinduism or the religion of sanatan dharma doesn't accept those kind of things we believe that there is a exist there is a god all over the place it all happens because of faith so this particular individual is called sumati who is the son of king bharata he follows the path of rishabdev but people think that sumati is following the path of buddha which is of non believing in god that is atheism for sumati a son named devaji was born in the womb of his wife with the sena there thereafter in the womb of asuri the wife of devajit a son named devad devadyumna was begotten devadyumna begot in the womb of his wife dhenumati a son named parmeshthi parmeshthi begot a son named pratibha in the womb of the wife survachala these are nothing but lineages so how the whole lineage comes about is being mentioned over here king pratiha personally propagated the principle of self realization in this way not only was he purified but he became a great devotee of the supreme person lord vishnu and directly realized him in the womb of wife survachala pratihi begot three sons named pratiharta prastota and udgata 
These three sons were very expert in performing Vedic rituals. Pratiharta begot two sons named Aja and Bhuma in the wife in the womb of his wife named Stuti. In the womb of the of his wife Rishikulya, Sri Bhuma, King Bhuma begot a son named Udgita. From Udgita's wife Devakulya, a son son named Prastava was born, and Prastava begot a son named Vibhu through his wife Niusta. In the womb of his wife Rati, Vibha, Vibhu begot a son named Pratusena. Pratusena begot a son named Nakta in the womb of his wife named Akuti. Nakta's wife was Druti, and from her womb the great king Gaya was born. Gaya was very famous and pious. He was best of saintly kings. Lord Vishnu and his expansion who are meant to protect the universe, are always situated in the transcendental mode of goodness, known as Vishuddha Sattva. Being the direct expansion of Lord Vishnu, King Gaya was also situated in the Vishuddha Sattva. Because of this, Maharaj Gaya was fully equipped with transcendental knowledge. Therefore, he was called the Mahapurusha. See, these are nothing but lineage stories from whom came whom, from whom came whom. So, it is just a lineage, how we have to follow. King Gaya gave full protection and security to the citizens of that personal property could not be disturbed by undesirable elements. He also saw that there was sufficient food to feed all the citizens. This is called portion. He would sometimes distribute gifts to the citizens to satisfy them. This is called Prinana. He would sometimes call meeting and satisfy the citizens with the sweet words. This is called Uplana. <laughs> He would give them good instructions on how to become first class citizens. This is called Anushana. Such were the characteristics of King Gaya's royal order. Besides all this, King Gaya was a householder who strictly observed the rules. I'll come to that in the end. He performed sacrifices and was unalloyed pure devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is called Mahapurusha because as a king he gave the citizens all facilities. And as a householder he executed all the duties so that at the end he became a strict devotee of the Supreme Lord. As a devotee he was always ready to give respect to other devotees and to engage in the devotional service of the Lord. This is the Bhakti Yoga process. Due to all the transcendental activities, King Gaya was always free from his bodily conception. He was full in Brahma-realization and consequently he was always jubilant. He did not experience material lamentation. Although he was perfect from all respects, he was not proud nor was he anxious to rule the kingdom. My dear King Parikshit, those who are learned scholars in the histories of the Puranas utilize and glorify King Gaya with the following verse. The great King Gaya used to perform all kinds of Vedic rituals. He was highly intelligent and expert in studying all the Vedic literatures. He maintained the religious principles and possessed all kinds of opulences. He was a leader among gentlemen and the servant of the devotees. He was totally qualified plenary expansion of Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, who could equal him in the performance of gigantic ritualistic ceremonies? All the caste and the honest daughters of Maharaj Daksha such as Shraddha, Maitri and Daya, whose blessings were always effective, bathed Maharaj Gaya with sanctified water. Indeed, they, was very sati- they were very satisfied with Maharaj Gaya. 
The planet Earth personified came as a cow and as though she saw her calf, she delivered milk profusely when she saw the good qualities of Maharaj Gaya. In other words, Maharaj Gaya was able to derive all benefits from the earth and thus satisfy the desires of the citizens. However, he personally had no desires. Although King Gaya had no personal desires for self-gratification, all his desires were fulfilled by the virtue of his performance of Vedic rituals. All the kings with whom Maharaj Gaya had to fight were forced to fight on religious principles. They were very satisfied with his fighting. And they would present all kinds of gifts to him. Similarly, all the Brahmanas in the kingdom were very satisfied with King Gaya's munificent charities. Consequently, the Brahmanas contributed a sixth of their pious activities for King Gaya's benefit in the next life. See, I am just reading this whole thing because King Gaya's life was a very pious one and he was performing all the rituals and the rites and ceremonies and performing the yagyas that are necessary. Plus, he was a great bhakt of Krishna. So, following the principle, he was doing everything that was necessary. I don't think I have to repeat all these things because it is understood. Till the time we come to some, you know, spiritual discourse at that time, I can stop over there and I can continue. But this is going on like this. In Maharaj Gaya's sacrifice, there was a great supply of intoxicants known as Soma. King Indra used to come and become intoxicated by drinking large quantities of Somrasa. Also, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu, that is a Yajna Purush, also came and personally accepted all the sacrifices offered unto him with pure and firm devotion in the sacrificial arena. That is, Indra was coming and well as Vishnu was coming. Every sacrifice that we do, these two personalities sometimes partake of it. That is, I drink, the thing that I say, I drink, I drank. Or when you do something in excesses, and when you drink because it's important that you need to clean glasses, you know. When you go for big parties, you need to, you know, okay, hold a glass in your hand and show the whole world you are drinking. If you, if you are not a great drinker, or if you are a drinker, then you keep on drinking more and more and more. To show the world how big a, you know, a pig you can be. <laughs> so both ways, both the ways you can show the world. It is nothing but the ahankara, which is what Indra is all about. It's all about your ego, I, me, myself. See, even uh, if you go to some fancy places, the people order some of the best wines or some of the best champagnes in, on the house. The reason is because they want to show the world that they have this great you know, knowledge and they are such and such great people. This is all they do. So, both the people came. One comes to accept the sacrifice. That is Vishnu. Whereas Indra Dev comes over there to enjoy the whole process. When the Supreme Lord is pleased with the person's activities, automatically all the demigods, human beings, animals, birds, bees, creepers, trees, grass and other living creatures beginning with Lord Brahma are pleased. So when the acceptance is happening of the divine, of any sacrifice that is there, at that point in time, you get what is called as the benefit of all the gods and goddesses and all that. I will explain this line to you. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the super soul of everyone. He is by nature fully pleased. Nonetheless, he came to the arena of Maharaj Gaya and said, I am fully pleased. Now, I will explain to you in a, in a format where you will understand what is the meaning of the word acceptance of these offerings. Alright? Let us say for example, now, you have, you have gone for a function or a party or something like that. 
let us say you have gone for a wedding now in the wedding you are offered a very nice dishes to eat for your food you know you are called and then you are said oh sit down and then you are offered a very nice meal the nice meal is being offered to you in showing gratitude towards you coming and gracing that particular occasion but what do people do they go only for the purpose of eating they have not gone to give grace to anybody they have gone over there only for the purpose of filling their stomachs or they go over there and then they keep on talking all nonsense over there they will keep on saying oh this one is like that and that one is like that oh she has become so fat oh that one has become so old keep on discussing about other people and criticizing everybody around again when you sit for lunch at that time also you start your criticism now tell me something do you really believe that vishnu will come and partake of that meal no the reason why he will not partake is because of all the ill will that you have spewed out over there it is all the bad things that you have said it is not a sacrifice it is on the contrary you are spewing out all the venom that is there all the acids that you hold in your stomach no god is going to accept it so if vishnu himself doesn't partake of this meal where is the question of the creation of the sattva sattva means the essence of the meal the essence of the meal is never there you see when you eat a certain things even when you have at home let us say there is a very nice dish that is made all right you are having it because it is very nice so you eat it very relishing it you are going into the deep sense of satisfaction and relishing a meal at that point in time the divine lord is very much with you relishing it with you he partakes of this offering your body accepts it body means the entire being from tip to toe from top to bottom all the gods over there all the creatures over there all the animals that are the animals you know me you, you can't say you know oh, there is one buffalo going over there oh, there is one horse going over there <laughs> nothing like that there are no animals inside the body these are properties which every human being has the properties are governed by their what is it their now see everybody now let us take for example a pig the moment i say the word pig you will have a smile on your face you will say oh pig the guy who rolls in the <laughs> or you say a horse a horse is chapal chapal means he likes to run so that which makes you go after something run is called the principle of horse all right in the same way scorpion you know that tendency to you know hit out at someone unknown without their knowledge we say na scorpion bite i cannot classify the people those who are from the scorpio to be like that no it is nothing but a trait basically a trait of a scorpion again the trait of a bull you know how bull headed people can be they don't want to listen to you you tell them 100 times you do this <laughs> you know that <laughs> they don't want to listen to you so these are the bullhead so these are characteristics in our body full of animals 
birds you know birds we sing nicely koyal some of them are chatterboxes like a parrot you know this these are characteristics can you understand i know brito where your emphasis is going <laughs> don't go don't go in that direction so chatterboxes plus there are some who tweet 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 they keep on tweeting some of them just want to irritate you <laughs> they keep on doing like this like a kabutar <laughs> so we have all these characters in our being you know plus trees an oak tree standing like that you know an oak tree so all these are getting nourishments from every sacrifice that is done in the body i just gave you a food as an example but hearing is also a sacrifice smelling is also a sacrifice seeing is also a sacrifice doing work with your hands is also a sacrifice if you perform an action is that a if you perform an action what is the meaning of the word sacrifice sacrifice is i am offering something offering something to the lord with my hands i do work it is a sacrifice it's an offering to something i do work i go and cook in the kitchen with my hands so that everybody in the family gets food to eat isn't it a sacrifice it's an offering to everybody isn't it so it's like that so the lord is very pleased with this it has to be unconditional there should be no conditions you cannot tell somebody did you like what i made huh? you didn't like next time i won't make it you know we have heard these words very often no you are not supposed to look at the end results you are supposed to put all your efforts into it make it nicely and put it in front of the person let the person appreciate it it comes on its own it's supposed to be the fruit we do not go after a fruit we just expect to do the next job you are supposed to do the next job the next job the next job so f- when we eat food when we relish food it is taken in by the body but let us say we are doing over excess eating you keep on eating get 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 you know you like something you keep on eating and eating and eating or drinking and drinking and drinking finally you become tally you know <laughs> so that is the time indra is at the peak and all sorts of wrong things are going to happen <laughs> so when you eat too much it is called excess it is not called a sacrifice when somebody does excess jobs you know and is completely exhausted and he says oh i worked so hard okay you know indra is very much at play we think indra is not at play i'll tell you how indra is at play indra is always a person who says is a ex- is a great person who did it you know i did it 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 ah a person who likes to create credit or the person who says they make me do all these things i you know like they show in the films you sweat like this and you keep on doing some job that is also a form of an egotism where you feel you know that you are the you are the person who is what do you call that who is singled out ha huh? yes martyrs a martyr is also the biggest egotist of all i died for my country hello i died for my country and you become one great person and everybody play praise for you no 
martyrship is not martyrdom is also a form of an egotism you are not expected to become a martyr again these are the things which you have to avoid so god doesn't come over there vishnu doesn't partake of that kind of things he only partakes of that which is offered with love it is taken in moderation okay so when you are listening to music and you go to the discotheque in the night full 12 hours of dang 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 you think that uh, vishnu is going to come over there sorry you are going to go over there and enjoy so there is no vishnu over there so it's not enjoyment it's a thorough enjoyment all right so i hope you understood this lines so in the womb of gayanti maharaj gaya begot three sons named chitrarata sugati and avarodhana in the womb of his wife urna chitrarata begot a son named samrat samrat's mother and father are known now the wife of samrat was utkala oh my god this is some other woman and in her womb <laughs> samrat begot a same son named marichi marichi you know na marichi was a great muni in the womb of the bin, wife bindumati marichi begot a son named bindu in the womb of his wife saraga bindu begot a son named madhu in the womb of his wife named sumana madhu begot a son named vivavrata in the womb of the wife bhoja vivavrata begot two sons named manthu and pramanthu in the womb of the wife satya manthu begot a son named bhuvana and in the wife, womb of the wife dusana bhuvana begot a son named tasta in the womb of wife virochana tastan begot a son named viraja the wife of viraja was visuchi and in her womb womb viraja begot 100 and 1 100 sons and one daughter of these sons the son was named satjit and predominant there is a famous verse about king viraja because of his high qualities and wide fame king viraja became the jewel of the dynasty of priyavrata just as lord vishnu by his transcendental potency decorates and blesses the demigods so this brings us to the end of the fifth canto chapter 15 the glories of the descendant of king priyavrata so the next chapter is a very interesting chapter okay now why is this interesting chapter because it defies the uh, the um, creation how <laughs> the theory of creation as in terms of evolution and how the big bang and all those things happen okay so <laughs> it's just a few lines uh, do we have time i think we can do that isn't it yeah we can try that okay so we are doing chapter 16 description of jambu dweepa king parikshit said to sukhdev goswami you have already informed me the radius of bhumandala extends as far as the sun spreads its light and heat and as far as the moon and all the stars can be seen so that means we are talking about the horizon all right so he says now i understand that there is a sun and the moon and all the stars and stuff like that so we can say that the earth we can see from one particular place everything that is there now why is he saying because see in ancient times you could travel by means of horses and various other animals or you can go by means of a ship or a boat or something like that so we we he has to say my dear lord the rolling wheels of maharaj priyavrata mm. okay 
the previous line i'll just explain to you he says the radius of bhumandala bhumandala means our universe our universe extends as far as the sun spreads its light how far can the sun spread its light that is the that's the that's the time that's that's how far that means imagine during that time the clarity was there that our sun see the sun is also our sun these people know that this is our sun and that there are other suns also and as far as the moon the moon is our moon so our sun and our moon are spreading this so that is a thing which can be seen and heard the the extent of what the reach is my dear lord the rolling wheels of maharaj priyavrata chariot created seven ditches in which the seven oceans came into existence it's a mythological story remember this okay created seven oceans in the seven oceans came into existence because of the seven oceans bhumandala is divided into seven islands they are given us a very grand description of their measurements names and characteristics now i wish to know them in detail kindly fulfill my desire so there are how many continents do you know how many continents are there okay now you go and go go and read your geography or maybe you can do wikipedia so there are seven by the way <laughs> okay and there are seven big oceans also when the mind is fixed upon the supreme personality of godhead in the external feature made of the material modes of nature the gross universal form it is brought to the platform of pure goodness in that transcendental position one can understand the supreme personality of godhead vasudev who is in a subtler form is a subtle is self effulgent and beyond the modes of nature oh my lord please describe vividly how that form which covers the entire universe is perceived so we are going to discuss about the creation and how the divine lord is presiding over this entire universe the great rishi sukhdev goswami said my dear king there is no limit to the expansion of the supreme personality of godhead's material energy this material world is a transformation of the material qualities sattva raja and tamaguna yet one could possibly explain it perfectly even in the lifetime as long as that of brahma no one in the material world is perfect and an imperfect person could not describe the material universe accurately even after continued speculation o king i shall nevertheless try to explain to you the principal regions such as bhugoloka with their names forms measurements and various symptoms now what what is he trying to say a normal human being those who have come from the lineage of brahma ji you know brahma ji is the creator he has created this entire universe anything which has got created is imperfect in nature perfection is only that which can understand even brahma ji even brahma's birth can be understood by that person it's like today in the morning i was saying that if you keep if you are in a particular place let us say you are in london and you keep on describing westminster abbey and this and that and so many other places i have never been to london so i will say yeah 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 i'll keep on listening to you do you think i'm i i can then explain to somebody else can i explain where is westminster abbey where is this where is the king of england staying or queen staying and where is the river and where is i don't even know where big ben is no i don't have any idea i can just look at a map and say oh here here there is big ben it's written over there so i can read it 
but otherwise i wouldn't know it is only the one who has gone to london and knows london better will be able to tell us correctly correct and that is the reason why nobody as of now can tell us how this earth came into being or how this universe came into being or where what it is but who can tell you the one who has created can tell you can he not only the one who has created is better qualified to tell you exactly how this whole thing is and the representatives of his that means those who have gone over there seen him and come back they are the ones who are qualified to tell you the exact answers so that is the reason why sukhdev goswami is saying that i will tell you the answer because he is a realized being the planetary system known as the bhumandala that is the earth resembles a lotus flower and its seven islands res- resembles the whole of the lotus the length and the breadth of the island known as jambudvipa which is situated in the middle of the whole are 1 million yojanas that is 8 million miles jambudvipa is round like a leaf of a lotus flower in jambudvipa there are nine divisions of land each with a length of 9000 yojanas that is 72000 miles there are eight mountains that mark the boundaries of these divisions and separate them nicely amidst these divisions are varshas is a varsha named ilavrata which is situated in the middle of the whole of the lotus within ilavrata varsha is the sumeru mountain which is made of gold sumeru mountain is like the pericarp of the lotus like bhumandala planetary system the mountain's length is then same as the width of the jambudvipa or in other words a 1 lakh yojanas which is 8 lakh miles or that 16000 yojanas which is 1 lakh 28000 miles which are within the earth and therefore the mountain's height above the earth is 84000 yojanas which is 6 lakh 72000 miles the mountain's width is 32000 yojanas which is 2 lakh 56000 miles at its summit and 16000 yojanas at its base all this that is sounding all creepy you know we, i i can't think of all these things when i keep on thinking about so many yojanas and all my yojana goes for a toss yojana means you know an idea by the way <laughs> so you become no ideas only you become completely blank okay let me put it this way to you when we are talking in terms of yojanas when we are talking in terms of jambudvipa when we are talking in terms of if we are talking about land mass land mass the central land mass at the beginning of time was a single big island as we call it, it why it was an island because seas were surrounding it okay all these things that is the reason why it came up from the sea isn't that what we had done in our past again okay the sea, the, the land came up water was formed the land came up from the sea that is the reason why it is mentioned like that the central portion has what is called as a mountain called jambudvipa if i take the mountain you know we always look at everything the length and the breadth and height and weight and everything is relative relative now when i say 1 kg what does 1 kg stand for some person must have taken something as the standard isn't it you understand what i'm saying somebody has constructed a standard format from that has come 1 kg it has come from somebody's mind isn't it 
same way length what is the length the length 1 cm 1 km okay whatever 1 inch pound centimeter square this that time seconds minutes all this has come relatively so 24 hours has come in relative terminology one entire circle of the earth is 24 hours it goes around its axis isn't it so 24 hours but i can divide it into 100 hours if i want to if i have a different scale i go by metric scale let us say why should i have 60 minutes can i not have 10 minutes as 1 hour if i have 10 minutes as 1 hour 60 okay 60 into 60 60 into 24 right that is 60 minute cycle into 24 hours that if you take it how much does it come to do you know so many minutes it's 60 minutes in an hour in 2 hours is 120 correct in 10 hours it is 600 isn't it right 10 hours it is 600 600 plus 600 1200 correct huh plus another 4 so if you go to see if i divide it by 10 i can have 1 hour for 10 minutes also for who is the one who has decided these factors so i can have 144 hours in a day for all i care who cares and that is the reason why somebody has come up with a standards we call it standardization isn't it in the same way somebody has come up with a standards of what is called as the length the time the space everything everything is relative how can you say now suppose if i have named the planet okay this the star uh, what do we call as the moon of uh, what is a jupiter or saturn it's called titan i don't know what titan is somewhere it is now if i have named it a titan people who are staying on titan will say oh no we have calling uh, we are calling it uh, burger you are not going to accept it is it but those people want to call their planet as burger what is your problem you are naming it something and they are naming it something else that is their problem isn't it? and your problem so there are no standards there so people those who believe in science think about it like this those who believe in science have also taken liberties in this world they have taken standardization the techniques of standardization so whether it is length breadth the value of pi or whatever the hell that you are thinking in terms of sciences it is all standardized in the same way what has happened in, in our spiritual text also they have taken their own standards they have taken yojanas and this and that so do not try to compare their yojana with our yojanas is not going to match just imagine people from titan will say ours is a this is called burger you have no right to call it by by the name titan okay right or wrong so, <laughs> so is their problem or your problem sort it out this is the reason why we cannot standardize 
as per we are trying to use our ego in trying to do that so that is the reason why i said you know there is a mountain called meru how big is the mountain they have given some lengths and breadths and yojanas and all that don't go by the the, the calculations that are there 1,28,000 miles nobody is going to break their head their 1,28,000 miles is like my 1,440 minute divided by 10 I want to have 1 hour equal to 10 minutes what is your problem see you are going to get into big trouble I am going to have 3 hour session just now my god 3 hour session this fellow is mad what does he think of himself Oh, my three hours is equal to 30 minutes only. So what are you going to do? See, we have a big problem in front of us. We don't even know. So the exact reason why we cannot equate our way of thinking with their way of thinking, whoever has written this. So don't go by that. Okay? So, just north of Ilavrata Varsha, during going further northwards, one after another, there are three mountains named Nila, Sweta and Shavangavan. These marks that borders of the three Varshas named Ramyaka, Hiranyamai and Kuru and separate them from another with the width of the mountain as 2000 Yojanas. Lengthwise they extend east and west to the beaches of the oceans of salt water. Salt water is there in both the sides, isn't it? If you take it from, if you go towards Bengal or you go towards Mumbai also, it's all salt water. Going south to north, the length of each mountain is one-tenth and that of the previous mountain but the height of them all is the same. Similarly, south of Ilavrata Varsha and extending from east to west are three great mountains named Nishadda, Hemakuta and Himalaya. Each of them is 10,000 Yojanas. The mark the boundary of the three Varshas named Hari Varsha, Kimpurusha Varsha and Bharat Varsha, that is India. In the same way, west and east of Ilavrata are two great mountains named Malayavan and Gandhamadana respectively. These two mountains, which are 2,000 Yojanas, high, extend as far as the Nila mountains in the north and Nishada in the south. They indicate the borders of the Ilavrata Varsha and also the Varshas known as Ketumala and Bhridavarsha. On the four sides of the great mountain known as Sumeru are four mountains, Mandara, Mer- uh, Meru Mandara, Suparshwa and the Kumuda which are like its belt. The length and the height of these mountains are calculated to be 10,000 Yojanas. Standing like flagstaff in the summit of these four mountains are mango trees, a rose apple tree, a kadamba tree, a banyan tree. These trees are calculated to have a width of 100 Yojanas, 800 miles. Now you tell me a tree is 800 miles? No, your one centimeter is equal to one mile for them. What to do? They were like ants, you know. So what to do? So to I went 100 miles today. Bola kitna 100 centimeters mein gaya tha. For an ant the, the ratio is different isn't it? For you the ratio is different. For an ant the ratio is different. For a, for a frog who stays in a, in a well, his world is only the well. He doesn't know that there are places existing outside. So let us not get into this again. So and the height is 1100 Yojanas which is 8800 miles. The branches are spread in the radius of 1100 Yojanas. O Maharaj Parikshit, best of Bharata dynasty. Between these two, four mountains are four huge lakes. The water of the first tastes like milk, the second like honey and that of the third like sugarcane juice. The fourth lake is filled with pure water. The celestial beings like Siddhas, Charanas, Gandharvas are also known as demigods enjoy the facilities of these four lakes. Consequently, they have the natural uh, perfection of the mystic yoga such as the power to become smaller and the smallest are greater than the greatest. There are four celestial gardens named Nandana, Chitraratha, 
वैभ्रका एंड बाप रे बहुत बड़ा बड़ा नाम है सवोतभ्रदा भद्रा ऑफ द लोअर स्लोप्स नो द बेस्ट ऑफ द डेमी गॉड्स अलॉन्ग विद वाइब्स हु आर लाइक द ऑर्नामेंट्स ऑफ द हेवनली ब्यूटी मीट टूगेदर एंड एन्जॉय विथ इन दोज गार्डन्स एंड द ग्लोरीज आर संग बाय लेसर डेमी गॉड्स नोन एज गंदरवास ऑन द लोअर स्लोप ऑफ मंदरा माउंटेन इज अ मैंगो ट्री नेम देवचुता इन द इन दी इलेवन हंड्रेड योग योजना है मैंगोज एज बिग एज माउंटेन पीक्स एंड एज स्वीट एज नेक्टर फॉल फ्रॉम द टॉप ऑफ द ट्री फॉर द एन्जॉयमेंट ऑफ द डेंजेंस ऑफ हेवन इमेजिन इट फॉलिंग ऑन टॉप ऑफ योर हेड such a big uh, mango <laughs> they will say mango gaya adbi so they say when all the solid fruits fall from such a height they break and the sweet fragrant juice within them flows out and becomes increasingly more fragrant as it mixes with the other scents the juice is cascaded from the mountain in waterfalls and becomes a river called arunodaya and which flows pleasantly through the eastern side of the ilavrata The pious wives of yakshas act as personal maid servants to assist Bhavani, the wife of Lord Shiva, because they drink the water of the river Arunoda. Their bodies become fragrant, and as the air carries away the fragrance, it perfumes the entire atmosphere for 80 miles around. Similarly, the fruits of the jambu tree, which are full of pulp and have very small seeds, fall from the great height and break into pieces. These fruits are the size of elephants, and the juices gliding them become a river named Jambu Jambu Nadi. The river falls at a distance of eleven ten thousand yojanas from the summit of Meru Mandara to the southern side of Ilavrata, and the floods the entire land of Ilavrata with juice. The mud on both banks of the river Jambu Nadi. Is it? Is it too big or what? No, no. It's, I think we will finish it. Okay. All right. The mud on both the banks of river Jambu Nadi being Nadi being moistened by the flowing juices and then dried by the air and the sunshine produces huge quantities of gold called Jambu Nada. The denizens of the heaven use this gold for various kinds of ornaments. Therefore, all the inhabitants of the heavenly planets and their youthful wives are fully decorated with golden helmets, bangles, and belts, and thus enjoy life. I can finish it, no? Another seven eight seven eight verses on the side of. Supervasha mountain stands a big tree called Mahakadamba, which is celebrated. From the hollows of the tree flow five rivers of honey, each with five yamas wide. These uh, flowing honey falls incessantly on top of the Supervasha mountain and flows around Ilavrata Varsha, beginning from the western side. Thus, the whole land is saturated with ple- pleasing fragrances. The air carries the scent from the mouth of those who drink the honey perfumes. The land of the hundred yojanas around. Similarly, on Kumuda Mountain, there is a great banyan tree which is called the Satavalsa because it has hundred main branches, and from the branches come many roots, from which many rivers are flowing. The rivers flow down from the top of the mountain to the northern side of Ilavrata Varsha for the benefit of those who live there. Because of these flowing rivers, all the people have ample supplies of milk, yogurt, honey, clarified butter, molasses, food grains, clothing, bedding, sitting places, ornaments. All the objects that desire are sufficiently supplied for their prosperity, and therefore they are very happy. Anybody who is listening to this will think, you know, ये कौन सा? I mean, which country, which land, which place, which earth? I don't even know. They'll think it is all fake. Don't worry. Let me come to the end of it. The residents of the material world who enjoy the products of these flowing rivers have no wrinkles on their body and no grey hairs. They never feel fatigued, and the perspiration does not give them uh, bodies a bad odor. No deodorants at that time, ah. Huh? they are not afflicted by old age disease or untimely death they do not suffer from chilly colds or scorching heat nor their body lose the luster 
they all live very happily without anxieties until death. There are other mountains beautifully arranged around the foot of the Mount Meru, like the filaments around the whole of the lotus flowers. Their names are Kuranga, Kurara, Kusumba, Vaikanta, Trikuta, Sisira, Patanga, Ruchka, Nishada, Srinivasa, Kapila, Shanka, Vaidurya, Jarudi, Hamsar, Shaba, Naga, Kalanjara and Narada. On the eastern side of Sumeru are two mountains named Jathadara and Devakuta which extends in the north and the south of 18,000 Yojanas. Similarly on the western side are Sumeru and two mountains named Pavana and Pariyatra which also extends north and south for the same distance. On the southern side of the Sumeru are two mountains named Kailasha and Karavira uh, which extends east and west of the 18,000 Yojanas and on the northern side of Sumeru extending from the same distance east and west are two mountains named Tishangna and Makara. The width and the height of these mountains is 2000 Yojanas. Sumeru, the mountain of solid gold shining as bright, brilliant as flyer, is surrounded by these eight mountains. In the middle of the summit of Sumeru is a township of Lord Brahma. Each of its four sides is calculated to extend for 10 million Yojanas. It is made entirely of gold and therefore learned scholars and sages call it Satakumbi. Surrounding Brahmapuri in all directions are the residences of the eight principal governors of the planetary systems beginning with King Indra. These abodes are similar to Brahmapuri but are one-fourth the size. This ends the chapter, a description of Jambudvipa, that's four, fifth canto, sixteenth chapter. Uh, I am stopping here and then we will go to the next one next week. So, what is all this thing that we heard? You are going to wonder which birth and which planet we came from, nothing, nothing, don't worry. This is not a fairy tale. It's about you only. All the rivers are in you. All the mountains are in you. The whole universe is in you. The sun is in you. The moon is in you. Everything. Jambudvipa is a big island. The body is a big island. See? Our body is a big island. <laughs> in the center of the island is the Sumeru. It's called Meru rather. Meru. North of it is Sumeru. Meru is the place which is called what we say as the solar plexus. Plexus. The point. You see, we have something which we call as the abs, you know. Everybody goes for abs development. Six packs. Hmm. So, six packs developed, that place is called the Meru. It's a point where the body is balanced. The north and the south is balanced. That means that this portion of the body is balanced to that portion of the body is the central point from where the entire thing happens. Alright. This is what it is. Don't go to some Meru mountain. There is no Meru mountain outside. You will wonder what Meru you are talking about. No Meru over there. Even if you take India as a portion or United States as a portion, if you consider even that state it will all have the same dimensions as this Jambudvipa. An entity, which is called a created entity, is always surrounded by water, is always there in the center. The center will have its axis where the balance happens. So, everything is like that only. It has got seven rivers, seven lakes, seven this, seven that, seven... We have gone through all these things. We have looked at a tree, a people tree or something like that, which has got so many branches. I want you to think about your entire internals. Look at your entire internals. 
just go to the diagram which says show the nervous system show your palm your arteries arterial and the venous system you know how it looks like isn't it rivers and rivers and rivers and lakes and there are certain places where the formation is there certain places where there is if you go to the skeleton we have a skeleton so in the skeleton also there are certain points where there are connections where there are heights where there are lows there are depths there are everything is not is not one and the same isn't it if you go to a certain location let us say uh, even your mouth inside the mouth you will find that there are things which are like the tongue is there the tongue has its own way of creating juices isn't it so you will find that that also is a place where things happen the creation happens rivers are flowing these you know the mountains are there the peaks are there you see microscopically your entire body or you say in a in a macro location like say a united states the united states is not plain flat land isn't it it has got rivers valleys peaks mountains this that so many things so everything is like a jambu dwipa only so this description is not some vague description from some place sukhdev goswami is talking about representation of every land for that matter every human being every creation has all these entities inside of them in the form of a representation all right so i shall end over here and uh, we can stop this